the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into hour two, it is a delight to have, a privilege to have Rabbi Pinchas Alush with us. He is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, heard on Apple Podcasts. He spells his last name A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. And he is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah in Scottsdale, T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H, on Shea Boulevard, where he uh, continually reminds all are welcome, uh, observant or not, Jewish or not. David is gone. Young David has been. Um, Rabbi, welcome back. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure being here. Thank you, Seth. Tell us about your son, Yisrael Mordechai Chaim. Many in the audience continue to pray and think of for and think of him. Well, thank you. We so appreciate that. He, uh, We spoke to him actually earlier this week. He called from Khan Yunus, Gaza, where he continues to fight the good fight with his brothers at arm. He sounds good, positive, strong, and they're determined to win this war. It can't go on much longer, can it? Is there, well, you, I mean, he wouldn't tell you, I suppose. He wouldn't tell me, no. Like he, he, right. He barely shares any details. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there is Gaza on the surface and yeah. there's Gaza under the That's surface now. 500 kilometers of tunnels. More so than the New York subway. <laughs> That's Did correct. you know that? <laughs> yes. It's yes. incredible. It's... I don't think people understood how, no. how, how deep and far and wide those tunnels are. That's right. Vast. That, that's right. And how uh, they really prepared for, for war when we hoped to prepare for peace. They built a tunnel system more vast than the New York subway system. That's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. Incredible. Then you wonder, you know. <laughs> you wonder what could have been done with that. Money. What could have been done with that yeah. money? Yeah. For the, Gazan, for the Gazans themselves. Yes, of Forget for the greater good. For the Gazans themselves. Of course. Well, I wanted to say something about your kindness, Rabbi, because you were very kind to me last week. I jumped the gun, <laughs> and you didn't correct me. You didn't say a word. I took us from the splitting of the Red Sea in Exodus into the Ten Commandments, and I jumped the gun. The Ten Commandments are this weekend, this Sabbath. <laughs> you were very decent, unless you like to do what is called foreshadowing or adumbrating in literature. <laughs> so let me ask you. Did you, you think about that, or did of you course, just— yes, Was it yeah. just part of your grand no, kindness? No, so look, uh, I'll tell you two things. First of all, I'll be frank. <laughs> I saw you with all your notes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I said to myself, boy, he prepared so hard. I can't do this oh, to no. him. <laughs> and number two, I will tell you this. You know, really, the Ten Commandments do begin in last week's portion. Okay. okay. Last week's portion is the foundation. Okay. So, uh, okay. you know, you can't divorce a seed from its tree. Yeah, I get it. I often say here, sometimes I'll get a caller or a listener writes in and They'll say, this might be a little off-topic, but... And I remind them, nothing is off-topic. Nothing is off-topic. After Gettysburg, one of uh, Lincoln's generals, sent him a, um, a, a telegram saying, we didn't, we didn't chase the enemy back 
to their territory, but at least we got them off of ours. And mm. Lincoln turned to his um, assistant, John Hay, and said, when will my generals ever get it through their head? It's all our territory. Mm. It's, a thing. it's all our territory. Everything relates. Everything, Everything relates. relates. The Ten Commandments relate to last yeah, week. you bet. And to many other portions. You bet. That's correct. This Sabbath, this Shabbos, Jews across the world will be reading from uh, Exodus 18 and forward. It's called Yitro or Yisro, uh, the name of uh, Moses' father-in-law. And this is where we will ultimately get the Ten Commandments, or for the first time get the Ten Commandments. Um, There's a lot to ask and say about this, so we won't tread through the ground we went through last week. So I, I took some different notes on this. Sure. First of all, kind of interesting that in a Torah portion that's about such a magnificent thing, not only in the Torah itself, but throughout all of world history, the Ten Commandments, they name it after a man. They don't call it the Ten. Why? why? I, I don't know if there's an answer to this, hmm. but it seems to me you might have the Torah portion called the Ten Commandments rather than Yitro. I don't know. It's a, maybe there's no answer to that. Right. No, there is an answer to that. In fact, the Lubavitcher Rebbe of Blessed Memory, who we've mentioned multiple times, um, speaks about why the name Jethro to this portion that really speaks about the most majestic and important event in history, mm-hmm. the giving of the Ten Commandments. Right. Right. And he his answer is, is fascinating. And that is because Jethro, if you recall, comes from really another side of the world, not just physically, right. but culturally, yep. philosophically. Jethro was an idol worshiper who worshipped many idols. He was a priest in his town in Midian, uh, which is uh, today's Ethiopia. And um, in many, many ways, the purpose of the Ten Commandments is not to stay on Sinai. It's not to stay where they are. And it's uh, neither to lock them up in uh, cities like uh, New York or Jerusalem. But rather, it is to ensure that their values and their light permeates even the idol worshippers of this world, the Jethros of this world. Mm -hmm. Thus, this week's portion is called Jethro Mm -hmm. to remind us not just of the giving of the Torah, but of the purpose of the giving of the Torah so that the Torah reaches even the Jethros of the world. Otherwise, The giving is not complete. The giving of the Ten Commandments is not complete. Interesting. And uh, also, I I think it's important that we're reminded of the role of a father, too. And that is a theme that I'm going to pick up on in a moment, because there's an obverse question to this, Mm -hmm. which is in this portion uh, throughout Exodus 18 and forward, they keep saying his name, of course, but they also keep referring to him as uh, Hoten, Hoten Moshe. Mm-hmm. The father-in-law of Moshe, and it's odd how many times they remind us of that he, they, how many times they use that phrase, Hoten Moshe. Presumably, we don't have extraneous language, but it's odd. It's to me, I mean, I, I, I can't study, I don't study this, but to me, it seems like it's important again to show a connection to fatherhood. But there might be some other meaning to it. No, I agree. I mean, the, the maybe the, the some of the commentaries speak about the simplistic interpretation to that, and that is that this was Jethro's claim to fame. Uh, I am uh, his father-in-law, uh, uh, and I want everyone to remember that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, you know, and I think that that's a compliment to Jethro and yes, to Moses, yes. to the type of family that oh, they had. interesting. But um, I think you're right. I think it also speaks about the 
importance and the value of having a father, a father-in-law, a family unit that is close and that is um, or that becomes the anchor to a person's life. I kind of like your first answer better than mine, though. Because how many times in life do we see fathers-in-law <laughs> bragging about their son, <laughs> the right. guy who married their daughter? <laughs> uh, it's kind of a nice message. Let's be a little more proud of this. Exactly. To, to, all, to all father-in-laws out there, including yes. mine. Including yeah. mine. <laughs> I was just going to ask if uh, what Esther's father's name is, your wife Esther's father. That's right. Gennady is his Russian name, Gennady. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but Tzvi, I call him by his Hebrew name, Tzvi. Yeah, so, yes, yeah. I hope he's listening Maybe to Maybe he calls you Hoten Pinchas. <laughs> yes. Or calls himself Hoten Pinchas. Calls himself, exactly. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Speaking of Esther, um, there is a – she died not too terribly long ago – a great commentator of uh, modern times named Esther Jungreis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was reading some of her commentary on um, on this portion, if I may um, – she focused on a phrase that the, the portion begins with, Yisro heard, Vayishma Yisro. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, she picks up on that to say, most of us hear only that what we want to hear and see only that which we wish to see. We open this chapter to understand our challenge is to listen to the right messages Mm. and respond properly to them. That's an interesting thing. It's fascinating because voices are being uh, announced, Mm -hmm. are being called, Mm -hmm. and it is only the hero that can hear them and follow them. You know, it's interesting. I'll just make the correlation to Abraham Mm -hmm. because Abraham is introduced to the Torah, uh, to us, sorry, in the Torah at the age of 75. We know nothing about Abraham. Right. It does say the first time that we are introduced to him that God spoke to him and said, leave your land. Now, why is that? Why can't we know anything about his biography before the age of 75? And the answer is because if you wish to be an Abraham too, Mm -hmm. a person that changes the world for the better, you have to be as open as Abraham was. He heard the call. No one did Mm -hmm. but him. And that's what made him into an Abraham. I like that. And I like all you need, really, for greatness. Right. And maybe not to look back. Right. Maybe not to hold the past against someone. Right. Once they make a return Mm -hmm. or tshuva. Right. Is that the right word? Right. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. We're going through Exodus 18. We'll get to the Ten Commandments a little bit, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, coming to you from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, which is brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals, um, your trusted source for so many other things. is Rabbi Pinchas Alush, my guest, host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. You can get it on Apple Podcasts, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, known as CBT. We're going through Exodus 18, known as Yitro or Yisro, which is really Jethro, um, any, any way you want to slice it. I was seized by this portion of it, Rabbi, um, when Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, saw how much he had Moses done for the people. He said, what is this thing that you are doing to the people? Why do you act alone while all the people stand about you from morning until evening? Moses replies to his father-in-law, it says it again, it is because the people come to me to inquire of God. You will surely wear yourself out. Jethro says, and the people as well. That's kind of interesting. (laughs) For the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. 
Listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You represent the people before God. You bring the disputes before God and enjoin upon them the laws and the teachings and make known to them the way they are to go and the practices they are to follow. Mm -hmm. Kind of interesting that he thinks Moses is doing too much. Yeah, I think— And what comes from that? Go ahead. Right. No, you're right. You're right. But I think it's the problem of all great leaders that uh, their greatest strength also becomes their greatest weakness. Mm -hmm. The greatest strength is that they have this unconditional, utter devotion to their people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or to that which they are working for. Mm -hmm. But in many, many ways, uh, because of that devotion to the people, we we, uh, leaders have a tough time delegating. They love them so much, they want to make sure that what they give them comes uh, in an unaltered, what's the word? Unadulterated. Unadulterated way, exactly, and in a way that they have full control Mm -hmm. over what has been given and how it's been given. But um, Moses... uh, you know, f- has the same fault. And, and Yitro, who comes from the outside, it's important to mention that, mm-hmm. because people who come to the outside, they from the outside, have a better perspective right. yeah. than we very often do when we're so entrenched. Mm-hmm. He comes from the outside. And he and sees what's going on. And he sees yeah. what's go- yeah. going on. And he says, I understand you love your people so much, mm-hmm. but this will wear you down. You'll become drained, mm-hmm. and your people too. And therefore, start delegating, however hard this may be, mm-hmm. because eventually that strength that you have will not only become your weakness, but will make the people weak. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Good. And then from this as well, we learned that Moses, I'm working off memory here, Moses is to go to God with the big things mm-hmm. and set up a system of counselors and advisors to go with more workaday issues. Right. Right. So, and that's sets ready. up a system of. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. A, a judicial system. Yes. That's correct. And that, by the way, is the first time we encounter such a system mm-hmm. in the Torah or in maybe in history. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because it also becomes one of the seven Noahide laws, mm-hmm. one of the laws that set up courts of justice. That's right. correct. Right. That become uh, universal, so that societies can function and thrive without a judiciary system. Uh, the society, uh, you know, almost automatically becomes corrupt. And Jethro understood this. And he said, fine, you know, you're a nation that is still at its baby steps. You just came out of Egypt and you're on your way to freedom. But if you wish to preserve that freedom and to become a nation that thrives, you first and foremost need a judiciary system. Start this now because it will benefit your freedom in the long run after you've become an established nation in your own land. Well, you raised an interesting thing that um, I had not thought about in a very, very long time, and I hope it's not you know, too, too out there, by raising the seven Noahide laws. Um, I, I, I picked them up here. They mm-hmm. are that, established courts of justice, and then the forbiddance of blasphemy, idolatry, adultery, bloodshed, I guess, murder, theft, and eating the blood of a living animal. Now, those compared, I mean, one can kind of see within those a version of the Ten Commandments, but the seven Loahide laws are the kinds of laws that non-Jew, that we would wish non-Jews to practice, right? That's, 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 would we not want them to do the Ten Commandments as well, or is it all kind of one and the same? Well, many of the 
Ten Commandments are very they much don't connected. Apply. Right. Right. Or, or or they are connected already to the okay. seven archetypes, okay. like blasphemy, okay. like committing adultery, for okay. example. Like the judiciary system yeah. also, which speaks right. of, of one of the Ten Commandments. But so they are enmeshed in the seven archetype laws. But the seven archetype laws are laws that are meant for everyone. Okay. Even those who may say, you know what, the Ten Commandments is too much for me. Or I can't the six keep the years. Sabbath, That's right. perhaps, the way. Yeah, yeah. This size fits this, all. This really. keeps civilization clicking, ticking. That, that's correct. Okay. And these are laws that are meant for society in general. Right. For a healthy society, we need to have those seven Noahide laws. Okay. Otherwise, a society becomes corrupt, it erodes, uh, to the point that, that uh, it becomes like a society before the flood of Noah right. that was so corrupt that God said maybe a flood will be the only thing that can cleanse it. Yeah. Thus, they are called the Noahide laws right. to remind us that without them, we have a, the society that existed before the flood. Yeah. With them, we have the society that existed after the flood, right. a society that can really thrive. Perfect. I'll repeat them for people. I, I probably did it too fast. Um, courts of justice, uh, established courts of justice, and then the prohibition of blasphemy, mm-hmm. uh, which is effectively taking God's name in vain. We've talked about that last week prematurely. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> all right. Idolatry, which is you know a different thing. Adultery, obvious. Bloodshed, murder, theft. Are you okay there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, th- th- theft, stealing, and eating the blood of a living animal. That's an interesting one because it debases us. That's it's right. really about debasing the human more than right. I, I've always ba- thought of it. That You're way. right. It debases the human yeah. and also. You know, I think if there's one common denominator between all of these seven Noachide laws is the denominator of respecting your boundaries. Ah, decency. Decency. Um, and here, by not eating the blood the, of, a, of a, an animal that's yeah. alive, we are respecting the animal. Yeah. We're saying, you know what? You have your life. Mm-hmm. Even though you're an animal, I respect that. Yeah. And it's true, by the way, for all of the other seven Noachide laws. I think what ensures... Um, the health of a society, again, is this respect between the boundaries that God created. Rabbi Pinchas Salush is my guest. Um, I'm going to go to break because when I come back, I want to do a little bit about... um, I want to do a little bit about what it meant to give the Ten Commandments to the rest of the world and really to America in a certain sense. Um, the commentary of Jonathan, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of recent blessed, of blessed Memory passed away recently. He has a really interesting commentary about how there might not have, you couldn't really conceive of America without the Ten Commandments, and I'd like to do that with you if we can. Absolutely. We yes. Rabbi Pinchas Solush is my guest. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, coming to you from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. We're talking about the moral essence of the Ten Commandments based off our last conversation in the previous segment about the Noahide Laws and <clears throat> keeping civility and civilization within its guardrails. And... Rabbi Sachs, who is the chief rabbi of Great Britain, said this, and I just think it's fascinating. He says, at Sinai, where the, obviously, Jews received the, Moses goes up and the Jews received the Ten Commandments. At Sinai, a new kind of nation was being formed. 
and a new kind of society, one that would be the antithesis of Egypt, which is why we are reminded in the very first commandment that I brought you out of Egypt, right, in part, in which the few had power and the many were enslaved. That was the story of Egypt. It was to be, in Abraham Lincoln's words in the Gettysburg Address, a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Indeed, without the covenant at Mount Sinai, Lincoln's words would have been inconceivable, for nowhere else do we find anything like the politics of Mount Sinai, with its radical vision of a society held together not by power, but by the free consent of its citizens to be bound individually and collectively by a moral code and by a covenant with God. After all, they do say all that God has spoken we will do, right? Interesting. Right. Uh, there is consent here. There is an issue. I know there's a little bit of a debate about how much consent there could have been, but they do consent to this, mm-hmm. this moral code. That's right. You know, and it reminds me of uh, a juxtaposition that he's made uh, between the time in which we are first called, the Israelites are first called a nation, yeah. to the time in which they are called a nation by God for the first time on Mount Sinai. Because it's interesting, the first person to call the Israelites a nation was Pharaoh, that evil dictator of Egypt, who said that here is a nation that is multiplying itself and we ought to be careful because they will take over us and let's drown their little babies. Now, he called us a nation for the first time. In Hebrew, the word is Am. But it is not until we came out of Egypt and stood there at the footsteps of Mount Sinai receiving the Torah that God now, calls us for the first time again, um, a nation. Why did it take God so long? Pharaoh called us a nation, so we are surely a nation. Why did God, again, wait for us to come out of Egypt? And the answer, I think, is very powerful because a nation is only defined as a nation, as a free nation, once it takes that step forward to accept upon itself a set of values and morals. As long as we are a nation because of outside forces that enslave us, not because of anything that we did, that we took upon ourselves, that we agreed to to have in common and to to uh, you, you know to to in many ways include those laws, the Narchide laws, and the, the idea of respect between one another, then we are not a nation. Then uh, maybe we're just you know a roaming set of people in this world. But when God saw that we came to the footsteps of Mount Sinai and we exclaimed, we will do and we will listen. And we are committed to this ideal that is greater than us. Then God said, okay, now you earned that title of a nation. Yeah, and he may not have given it if they they didn't say we will do. If they didn't say we will do, we consent. That's correct. I mean, we don't know his ways, but one presumes that. That's the implication. According to the Jewish sages in in the Midrash, you're right. God proposed it to us, and he was waiting for us to reply with, we will do. And if not, maybe not. Yeah, if not, maybe not. So the idea of consent to a moral code, uh, which I'm going to return to in a moment on the other side of this break. But interestingly, you you said am is the word for nation. I always knew it as the word for people. And I wonder if it gets us to this notion that Jews are not just a religion, but a people nation. Mm-hmm. Is, there, is that duality? That's correct. Ex- yes, yes. Um, um could refer to a nation, could refer to a people. Sometimes they're interchangeable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you're right. We are sometimes called an Am. Um, Yisrael or something like that. that. That's correct. Okay. And sometimes we are called also an Ummah. 
much ah. later on. Uma, not not in the Torah, but in the Bible. Uma maybe refers more to this idea of people ah, rather than ah, nation. Ah, interesting. Okay, okay. I want to do more America and the Ten Commandments and Lincoln and the Moral Code with you when we come mm-hmm. back. It's a, it's a pregnant day to do it because it was uh, just yesterday in 1865 that Abraham Lincoln signed the 13th Amendment, which outlawed slavery. Rabbi Pinchas Solution, I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, House of Prayer is the translation, um, on Shea Boulevard, where, as he reminds, all are welcome, Jewish or not, observant or not. Continuing on uh, understanding the Ten Commandments differently than we did last week when I jumped the gun, uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, again, uh, the covenant, uh, Brit Sinai. Brit is a covenant, or bris, right? Mm-hmm. We know Some people know the phrase bris. That's what it means. It right. means covenant. The, the covenant at Sinai set moral limits to the exercise of power, mm-hmm. he says. The code we call Torah, Bible, established for the first time the primacy of right over might. Any king who behaved contrarily to Torah, to the Torah, was acting against legitimate authority and could be challenged. This is the single most important fact about biblical politics, he says. I think that's fascinating. It is fascinating. I would agree. And to put it differently, I think what the giving of the Torah man Sinai did, and us accepting, of course, that Torah, is that it took the truth of mankind that might have been subjective because it was dependent on men defining what that truth is, and it took it out of their control and gave it to God and therefore made it objective and absolute. Now it was God defining what truth is. And when God defines what truth is, it becomes eternal and unchangeable. Right. And that took away a lot of the power from people who thought that they were the masters of truth. They could tell you what truth is. Right. Our truth is for you to do A, B, and C. Our truth is for you to be enslaved. And, and therefore, you have to abide to it. Well, God said, I'm sorry. The truths of life right. belong to me now. Yeah. You have no say. And all these powerful people were left now without that seeming power right. to impose their own subjective truths. Right. And this is the break that the Ten Commandments does with what many in the West know of the system that was given by the ancient Greeks, democracy, because what the political philosophers since that period of time were consumed and worried about, and our founders were worried about, Madison and later Lincoln, they were consumed with the, the concern of a tyranny of the majority, that just because a large number of people or a larger number of people say something, that does not make it right, and it could trample the rights of minorities. So that our system was more of a representative democracy or Republican form of government to overcome that deficit that Greek democracy proposed, and thus looked so much so towards biblical revelation. So, for example, we think perhaps of the magic of what we call the West here as kind of the wedding of power with the people that comes from Greece, but also what is known as revelation, or the giving of the Ten Commandments. And you see it in our Declaration of Independence. We are told in the Declaration of Independence— the power by the laws of nature 
and nature's God. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that they do that? The laws of nature and nature's God. So you have the laws of nature, which are, um, which are reason, human reason, but nature's God is revelation. Mm-hmm. That's very well said. And I think that the founding fathers understood that which maybe we uh, are not understanding enough these days, mm-hmm. or that society is losing, unfortunately. And that is that so long as a society can accept that they are under God, right? One nation under God. Right. And that they don't have the final say. Right. But it is um, a God-centered society, and therefore God has the final say. The society will thrive. The minute a society becomes man-centered, and it's my truth versus your truth, yeah. and, and everyone has the truth, and everyone, yeah. it's like this big salad, and we almost uh, uh, suck God out of the picture. We become uh, an- anarchists. That's right. And the Founding Fathers understood this best. Yes, and Lincoln did too. In another famous speech, well, another famous act, which was a speech, February of 1860, known as his Cooper Union speech, he says what Sachs, I don't know if Sachs was thinking of this or not, Rabbi Sachs was or not, but he concludes this very famous speech, which many think really kicked off his presidential campaign, by saying this, let us have faith that right makes might, and in that faith, let us to the end dare to do our duty as we understand it. It's not might that makes right. Mm-hmm. It's right that makes might. This right. is a real turn. Very powerful. Um, if I can dare add one word, sure. I would say divine right. Yeah. Not just my right. Yeah. Because who am I to define what right is? Mm-hmm. But divine right and, makes might. Yes. And... Um, in many, many ways, I think we can go back to history or for all those historians out there and see that the societies that really did thrive were societies in which that was um, was a, a truth that was unchangeable, that mm-hmm. right makes might. Mm-hmm. Societies in which might made right were societies that were sooner or later they ab- yes. eroded. Right, and, and abusive. Right. And that's where you would have the tyranny of the majority that people like Madison were so worried about with just the Athenian notion of democracy. So, right. So we get revelation tempering democracy. And yes, right. Um, yeah, you know, it goes go back, ahead. if I may, mm-hmm. it goes back to Jethro yeah. in this portion. Yes, yes, yes. You're, you're reading me. Go what ahead. Jethro, what Jethro is telling Moses is not just that uh, you should have a judiciary system and set up courts, mm-hmm. but what he's also saying is that the judges that you pick mm-hmm. have to have certain components or, or ingredients. Correct. One of them is that they have to be God-fearing. Right. A judge that is not God-fearing is a judge that does not understand that right comes before or that right. How did he put it? Right. Yeah, that, becomes, that we shouldn't have m- might declaring right, but right should right. make might. Th- that yes. right should make might yeah. exactly, and therefore then the judiciary system can become very quickly corrupt. Yeah. So uh, it's important to remember that uh, this is true, especially for judges and people who are there to, in many ways, direct societies in the right path. I probably should know this. And I for sure will look it up, but I wonder if this is from whence we get the notion of of, of swearing on a Bible when we uh, appoint uh, when we elect and appoint officials, including judges or witnesses in a courtroom, um, uh, or even testimony before. I I, I should know this. I, I will look it. I will hunt it down. But I'm guessing it comes from that. It makes sense. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. 
that's uh, you know that's the definition again and, and in the it Bible. Is to tell the truth, right? That's Not correct. Your truth. That's right. I swear to tell the truth. That's right. You know, I never liked the this comparison between the truth and my truth mm-hmm. or your truth oh, it's because it's awful because <laughs> there's only one truth and that's God's. Mine shouldn't be called therefore truth. Yeah. It's not my truth. Yeah. My lie, maybe, yeah. or my perspective, yeah. to put it elegantly. Yeah, my opinion is what My opinion. Saying. But yeah. there's only one truth. Truth, the word truth, only belongs to God. Yeah. I made the point before, whenever we add a qualifier to something, it usually ruins the something. When you say my truth, you are immediately, unwittingly admitting it's not the truth. Mm-hmm. You're, you're admitting it, whether you like it or not, and you're elevating yourself above something objective. Right. And, uh, boy, that's not the lesson of Sinai, which is humility. Fair enough? <laughs> that's correct. There's an old story about that that I like, right? <laughs> well, you need a lot of humility to accept the truth. Yes. All the mountains fought to have the honor, the covet, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But God said, I'm going to give it to this humble mountain to teach people to be humble. And that you but can not a- too humble. Not too humble. That's right. Yeah. But that you can only receive the Torah if you are indeed humble. Nice. Rabbi and I will come back with some concluding thoughts. Rabbi Pinchas Alush has been my guest this hour talking about uh, Exodus 18 and forward and the Ten Commandments and many things around it. He is the head rabbi at uh, Congregation Beth Tefillah. You have an event coming up later this month. You wanted to say something about? Oh, yes. Thank you for the plug. So on February 25th at 5.30 p.m., um, we everyone is welcome to our gala in which we will have a hostage uh, that was in prison in Gaza for 55 days. We'll have a woman by the name of Orit who lost four of her immediate relatives to terrorist attacks and to the Gaza war, too. And we have other heroes of Israel that we are honoring on that night. We have an IDF band who will come also. And all are welcome to come and honor Israel again on February 25th at 5.30 p.m. at Congregation Betefila in Scottsdale. you want to give out the website for people to get more yes. information? Yes, on? you can find more info on soulconference.org. 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 This also refers to what will happen the day after on February 26th, where we'll have a soul conference speaking about the soul and uh, the important things in life with some great worldly scholars and entertainers, too. Great. Your newsletter that I received this morning opens also on this issue of God reminding people that he brought them out of Egypt. You tell us, and you can conclude your thoughts this week, if you'd like, on this point, that it's to remind us that we should all excel over, or really overcome our own Egypts. That's correct. Speaking of care of the soul. Right, because, you know, God could have began the Ten Commandments when he had everybody's attention in a more alluring way. After all, every public speaker knows that you either begin with a joke or at least with a word that can captivate the crowd right at the very onset of your speech. But not God. God said, I'm your God that took you out of Egypt. Duh. That's, we, we knew that already, God. Why begin Ten Commandments in such a fashion? And the answer, I think, is very powerful. God was saying, look, our relationship begins when you can come out of your own Egypt, then I will be your God. Remember, I took you out of Egypt nights for you to take yourself out of your own Egypt every day, of your own limitations, of your own worldly seductions. Go and ensure that you overcome those challenges. Reach out to me, and I will be there for you. I will then be your God. And I think it's an important message because very often we think that we have to go out there and make 
big, big names for yeah. ourselves or yeah. big splashes yeah. and uh, conquer the world. But you know how that begins? By conquering first myself. Yeah. Yeah. Coming out of my own Egypt. Yeah. Then I have a relationship with God. And then indeed the impossible becomes possible. We are defined by our daily grind of fighting Egypt-like moments that we all have within us, you say. Rabbi Pinchas Alush, thank you. Good to see you. Thank you, Seth. Always a pleasure. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.